Welcome to Make It Simple, where we take complicated issues and, with the help of an expert, break them down into ideas we can understand, truths we can apply, and questions worth pondering. I'm Matt Popovitz, and with me is my co-host, Rachel Ryder. Rachel, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Matt. Glad to be here. Yeah. Are, are you really doing great, though? Because like, I can see some stuff is going on with you. Like, How are Gosh. you doing? Well, I didn't know we were going to be that honest. Um, I'm, if I'm really honest, I'm, I'm just here. I've shown up and I'm doing okay. <laughs> doing all like, right. You've got, you've got sunglasses on. Uh, you want to tell everybody what's, what's going on with you? Yeah, it's not that I'm just too cool to be here and I wear sunglasses inside. So I had LASIK a couple of days ago, which is great and I highly recommend it. But I am dealing with like dry eyes and I feel like I have something in my eye and I can't touch them and they're red and all I want to do is sleep for days and I can't. And uh, so I'm so happy that I can see, but I'm just a hot mess. You know, you know, you just, I'm, I've, I showed up. That's what I did today. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're here. I'm, I'm sorry you're in pain. I mean, I'm, no, I am good. a little relieved that, that something's actually going on. It's not just that you're like really high maintenance now. <laughs> wearing sunglasses all the time. Yeah. Right. Right. So, no, but I, if I'm we're not- being honest, how are you? Well, I was just going to say, I, I've yeah. got something going on too. So I, I had to go to the endodontist today and like <laughs> get some stuff done. I've got to have a root canal, it turns out. So like you've got eye stuff. I've got tooth pain. Like mm-hmm. we could lie to everybody and say we're fine, but the truth is we're not. Yeah. We're, we're not. Yeah. Which actually, if I think about it, is is a good segue into our topic for today's episode because today we are talking about performanceism and per- Part of performanceism is this desire we need, this need that we have to present ourselves as as better or more capable than we actually are. Right. Uh, Rachel, who are we talking to today? We have David Zoll with us. Yeah, Dave is a mm-hmm. is a friend of ours, and he's the mm-hmm. founder of Mockingbird Ministries and the editor in chief of the Mockingbird website, co host of the Mockingcast, a great podcast you should totally check out. He and his family live in Charlottesville, Virginia where he's also on the staff of Christ Episcopal Church. He's written a couple of books, Seculosity, which we'll talk about today, and a forthcoming book called Low Anthropology, The Unlikely Key to a Gracious View of Others and Yourself, which comes out mm-hmm. next fall. So, so, Rachel, we're talking about performanceism, and I think Dave's going to give us a definition of performanceism. And, and uh, what I want to know from, from you is, when, when I say that word, what comes to mind? Um, you know, I think of performance, performanceism, and I think perfectionism, and I think um, achieving and hitting the the highest and the best and all those standards, um, and and how that's just pervasive in everything. I don't like performanceism is that's what we do. We perform, right? How well am I performing? How in, in all areas? So that's the first thing that that comes to my mind. What about you? What is it? What does it trigger for you? I just I just think of myself. You know, I'm I'm a very performance and productivity efficiency oriented person, and so it's very easy for me to fall into this mindset of I'm only as good as that that which I produce or how I perform and 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 how I'm received in the eyes of others. Sure, Uh, that that, that's a that's a big thing for me that that I that I have struggled with. I continue to struggle with finding my whole identity in the things that I do and how well they are received by others. And so and so that's why this topic really really resonates with me. But but I think it has broad application to the day and age that we live in and our culture at large, which I think, as Dave's going to talk about, is a very performanceist age sure. we find ourselves in. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I think this will be a good conversation. Yeah. So let's dive in. A conversation about performanceism with David Zoll. David Zoll, thank you for hanging out with us on the podcast today. It's great to see you, man. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, mm-hmm. Rachel. Yeah, it's great to have you. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. So we're gonna talk about something that. Uh, well, we're gonna introduce a, I think a new word to a lot of our audience. It's a word that I, I I've heard you use when we've hung out together, and I've heard you give some lectures, and then I I heard this word again in your book Seculosity, which we're gonna talk about in more detail in just a minute. But the word is performanceism, and that's I think that's gonna be the topic of our conversation today. Performanceism. Mm-hmm. So so let's start here, Dave. Uh, give us a give us a definition of this this word you've invented. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, it's. I think it's a fairly common word. Sometimes you use the word performanceism, and people almost nod their head automatically before you've said anything. It, but performanceism is simply the idea that there's no difference between you and your performance at X, Y, or Z. So, 
your resume isn't just descriptive of you. It, it sort of is you or the schools where your children go or their accomplishments in life aren't just sort of something about you. Those things are you. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's just the conflation or the, the, um, of taking, um, your achievements or your performance at your job, your, your, um, your schooling, your church even, and your value and worth and enoughness as a person and sort of just sort of saying they're the same. There's no distinction. Um, and as we all know, uh, that is, that's, that can be very painful. Um, it can, it's unconscious. I don't think we, performanceism isn't usually something we consciously ascribe to. However, when you're a kid and you get runner up as opposed to at the spelling bee, as opposed to champion, um, it's very difficult not to internalize yourself as being second best. Um, and saying that that's, that's not just something that happened to me. That sort of is me. Hmm. Um, and so uh, that's my Pithy definition. So do you think this is this is a, a new thing in the modern era, or is this kind of a human thing throughout time? This this uh this equivalence between I am with I am what I do, basically. I I don't think it's new at all. I mean, I th- I think it's a very um all of us life is confusing and we all right. want to know where we stand. We all want to know who we are. These are the great questions of life. Who am I? Uh am I lovable? Am I loved? Am I lovable? Uh, who doesn't want to know the answer to that question? And so if I can find something like a, a score mm-hmm. or a grade that'll tell me who I am, I mean, I can understand why it's so appealing. I think what is different today is that the areas in which we are quantifying our life from our sort of you know, smart watches telling us how we slept, how many steps we got in to, uh, you know, our constant update of, you know, our bank account and um, our, our grades being instantaneously given, so those sorts of things. I think that we've, self-quantification is what someone called it. It's, mm-hmm. it's become almost a default mode. And of, and of course, that usually when you talk about self-quantification, we're talking about how many likes do you get on on right. your right. Instagram post or your TikTok feed? Or um, there's a lot more scores where there weren't before. Um, we've always been tempted to uh, justify our or assert our, our 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 worth according to certain benchmarks. But I think that we're just surrounded by so many benchmarks that's um yeah. So, so yeah. Rachel, do you see this just from your perspective in your life? Um, do, do you see this at, at work in our world, this performanceism? I am what I do. You know, I was thinking at first, you know, you say performanceism. I'm like, oh, this isn't, this isn't high on for me. This isn't going to be, you know, I'm not an Enneagram three or whatever. And as you're talking, I'm like, gosh, this is my entire life. Like I even, <laughs> if I'm like, oh, I'm going to take a break or I just need to sit down for a minute. It's like, well, have I done enough? Have I folded enough laundry? Have I done enough of the things to earn a break. Mm. And mm. I, I, I start to think like, how do you even separate what you do versus who you are? Like, I wouldn't even, I don't even know where to start with that. Mm. Like, it just seems so natural. Like that's just how we live our lives. Like what I'm doing defines who I am. Like that's the great question. Yeah. So like Dave, what's, I think Rachel brings up a good point. Like how do you begin to separate that? But also what's the, what's the alternative? Yeah. What's the alternative to being what you do? Uh, the alternative is, um, you know, I, I the the pithy phrase is you're a human being, not a human doing. Mm. And it's um, Mm. uh, think of all the ways, the things that are most important in your life, your identities that are most important are not things you did. You know, you're a child of uh, your parents. And sometimes that's a great thing. Sometimes that's a difficult thing, but um, you didn't do anything to deserve that. If you are uh, loved by your spouse, uh, odds are it's not because you met some benchmark in their mind. It's probably because they they saw you in the fullness of who you are, including the ways in which you don't measure up. And they said, "I I like this person." Mm-hmm. Um, you are uh, if you're a parent, then then you did not. Um, yes, maybe perhaps. Yes, some of them gave birth to uh, create that child. <laughs> However. Um, these are the sturdiest bonds we experience because they're immune to um, the fluctuations uh, of sort of uh, accomplishment. 
You know, mm-hmm. I am a, I am a parent to the child who's in rehab just as much as a parent to the child at the top of uh, the you know the valedictorian. Mm-hmm. And so there's all sorts of um, alternatives to it. I think, um, in fact, that's what's um, it, the, the, it's such a default of our way of thinking today. And yet, if you really drill down to the most important things in your life, most of them are are not a, they're, they're not a matter of deserving. They're they're sort of mm-hmm. beyond. They exist beyond deserving. I would say in the realm of grace rather than the law. Um, but yeah, I I do think there's a um, are are you um if you're if you were to talk theologically we can say do we view mm-hmm. god as a as a boss and us as an employee constantly having to meet performance standards performance reviews right <laughs> or do we see ourselves as an adopted child that is heir to an inheritance people inherit things not because they do or don't do anything it's their quote what's his, the birthright mm-hmm. so um there's a there's there's dueling things because sometimes when people hear me talk about performanceism, they 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 make the jump to say, well, you're you're saying that our accomplishments don't matter, right. or to to fail at things is somehow good, or to excellence is not important. Um, no, 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 no. Th- those things are great. I think that when those become, when we invest those those areas of our lives where we're good at something or bad at something, we invest those with existential weight or significance. Then we get into a really, really um, difficult uh, position because then we have to either maintain that standard of performance or pretend that we're maintaining it (laughs) and hide. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so so like, let's talk about that for a second. So then, what what's what does this look like when it goes wrong when when our desire to equate ourselves or find our identity in what we do um overwhelms us or goes sideways for us uh, what's the what's what what are the stakes here for us if we if we buy into this too much live and die by it mm-hmm. uh, what's what's the terrible thing that happens um you know it's one of these things i think that um the standards you throw out on your best days have a way of boomeranging back on you on your worst um, live by the sword, die by the sword kind of thing. So if uh, your um, identity was fixed when you were 22 and you say it was, it was because you achieved some sort of physical beauty or um, desirability um, that can be, uh, you know, a wonderful thing. And yet then you age. And how much more painful is it to age when uh, the, these sort of physical achievements have been, are, are the, the mantle on which your entire self rests? Same thing uh, with, um, you know, I, I was, we're, 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 right now the Winter Olympics is happening. And if you wanted to look at performanceism, you simply, there's a documentary that Michael Phelps put together a few years ago about what happens to Olympians after they win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, what happens is uh, for a lot of people, not all people, but a lot of mental health problems, because what next? What, what, what do I do now? Yeah. Uh, who, who am I if, I, if I'm not, uh, you know, if you're Michael Phelps and you've won, however, you know, 30, 29 gold medals, the rest of your life is downhill. And so you have to have a pretty sturdy sense of who you are for that not to um, really, I don't know, d- d- get at you. Um, mm-hmm. or, and, and then all of a sudden you're just feel like you're failing all the time. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, yeah. And, and in that the documentary, he, I think it's, I forget what it's called, maybe going for the gold or something like that. But in that sense, there's a lot of suicidal depression that goes on among uh, high achieving people like that. Um, I don't think that's always the case, but I do think you see uh, a, a punishing the introduction of social media and a tallyable sense of self has is had wreaked havoc on our sense of who we are, especially as teenagers. Um, and I know that the recent studies about the mental health, especially of teenage girls, is mm-hmm. like undeniably that there's a link between these things. So, mm-hmm. so Dave, do you think there's a connection? Well, not, not even a connection. What, what do you think the the impact of the pandemic, where especially in the earliest stages, you know, we were we were 
um, we were quarantined. We were pulled away from the things that we do to prove ourselves and to prove that we exist and that we matter and that we're enough. Uh, what do you think the impact? Uh, have you thought at all about the impact of the pandemic has been upon our our performanceism and our search for enoughness? Yeah, it's it was it's been fascinating because I'm a parent and I'm a person trying to make it in the world and. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at first there was a sigh of relief from a lot of, I mean, after the initial fear of, well, am I going to die subsides? Then it was like, oh, we don't, we all don't have to do all these things we were doing. And I'm not afraid of someone getting ahead of me. If all of the competitions are canceled, if all of the venues are closed, then, oh, that's great. But then you saw a creeping sense of like, well, who am I then? Um, And people starting to figure out ways to, gamify you know online uh, virtual work and you know who got who's got the green dot next to their name and who's performing like you know asking just the right question at the right time on the zoom call and um there were new we introduced new ways uh we scrambled a little bit after the vacuum so i saw an initial wave of relief accompanied by a disorientation accompanied by a re-upping um and um and then it's it's just confusing, of course, because when you're talking about the pandemic, you're like, you're like who's pandemic and which pandemic? Because mm-hmm. here where I live in Virginia, it's looked very different than I was just out in Tulsa, Oklahoma. They've experienced something quite different than we have. Um, but at the same time, I, I, I see a, a yin and a, or a push and a pull. Mm-hmm. Rachel, you and I were talking about Seculosity, about Dave's book. Right. And you know, one of the things that came up is the the increased kind of secularism of our society um or at least the fact that you know people people don't go to church or have traditional religious expressions the the way they used to and dave i'm i'm thinking and in fact i know cuz i've read your book and it's great there's there's a connection between our performanceism and our secularism uh so so how do those two things meet and what happens when they do yeah i i think that um we're all looking for some authority to tell us that we're okay that we're enough, that we're loved and that it's, it, you know, it's all right. Um, and so if we're, we're going to look somewhere for that voice of assurance of love and acceptance. And um, what I've seen, the book is really about l- sort of tracing the ways that as, as people have sort of stopped looking to church for those answers, they are looking to their career more for those answers. And so therefore you get people sort of work-life balance has become, you know, the, the, the Amazon joke. That's for people that don't like their job. Um, it, it becomes, you start to pressure, you, you put pressure on all sorts of other things. Maybe it's a romantic relationship to be completely fulfilling for you and to tell you who you are. Maybe it's your relationship with your child. Maybe it's your relationship with, uh, you know, your device and social media. I don't know what it is, but I do see that we've moved. Um, so I, uh, my, my sense of that church was at its best, and this has not always been the case. And in fact, it's quite unfortunately all too rarely the case was a place where you could go with your shame and with your uh, not enoughness. And you could hear, you could either, you could unload it onto uh, you know a clergy person or onto the, the cross, however you want to, to give it to God. And you would hear in return um, an, a, a message of, of absolution and forgiveness and it's okay. Um, here's a way forward. Now, um, because that is uh, a, a dodgy preposi- pro- proposition for a lot of people, for all sorts of reasons, then you start to bring those same questions to the soccer game. And one of the great ironies, I think, is that a lot of young families, you know, they're they're not they're not going to church because they're going to like a a sports game for their child. And if you get involved if you, in especially leagues as, as they become like 12 and 13 years old, you know that those are the most performancist venues of all time. And you have kids having meltdowns and you're having extra coaches and you're having parents yelling at each other on the sidelines and getting into fist fights. And so there's a, um, we need to know, we need the, an answer to these questions. Uh, so instead of, we're going to find it somewhere. And so my book is basically about what happens when you're trying to find it everywhere. The religionizing of, of secular culture is what I just read about. Um, but it, you see it is think about parenting, think about how the pressures on mothers, for example, to, um, to have it all together and to, you know, to, to, to do it all, be it all. And, and for their kids to be happy and healthy at all times and to, and, and to be posting about it, you know, it's like right. a, it's a, 
it, that is a grind that I think you see increasing amounts of uh, medication and and uh, just misery uh, as a result of that. Um, I don't know. It, it sounds well, yeah. like such a downer now. But what, what are you no, saying, Rachel? Because then, I mean, um, as a mother that and as a parent, that's what you do. You even you look at your child's performance to to signify how well am I doing. And it's even it's even hard to look at the people in your life and call out who they are versus what they're doing. And as the thing that you're recognizing, and it just makes me think like grace is what we're really talking about, right? Like the only the idea that there's nothing you can do to earn it. You just are okay. Um, But that's just so hard to have that filter into every other part of your life. Like it's just so much easier to look at what have I earned or how many likes has I got as an, as an outward uh, assurance of your okayness, I guess. Yeah. Cause we can theoretically control those things, right? Sure. If, I, if I work hard enough, if I post the right things, if I, right. uh, you know, train hard enough for the soccer or whatever it is, I can, I can, I can, I can influence that. I can, right. I can get the, the water out of that stone. I can, I, you know, mm-hmm. um, what we find is that the things that we seek to control end up controlling us. And then it's, um, it fires back on us, um, in a way that is, uh, non completely the opposite of grace. Right. Uh, and yet it's appealing because it's control. Our kiddo definitely has big emotions. And part of it is that, you know, those tantrums were lasting for a really long amount of time, like way above what I think they say. I mean, yeah, they were just so long. So I think for sure with some of the techniques, like the light switch, which was one of the first things we learned with you guys, the duration of those immediately started to cut down. And it feels satisfactory. It just, you feel like temporarily, like you can be satisfied by it. Do yeah, you, and some, some people really do get there. I think sure. for, for a little while, for a little while. Yeah, well, like do, you do, just talked about the the athletes. I mean, that, that's what that's what we're talking about. Dave, do you think this is part of what gives? And, and I don't want cancel culture to be the, this this boogeyman that's out there. But I mean, it's 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 something we 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 are seeing and we talk about all the time. I mean, like uh, right now, Joe Rogan is like the top news story in the world, right? And and um, the, the his issues over at Spotify. But do you think the the things you talk about in secular seculosity are part of what gives cancel culture its power. Because if I am what I do, then the threat of having what I do being taken away from me is no longer about just losing my livelihood. It's also about losing myself and my identity. It's not just an attack on what I've done. It's a, it, it's that much more so um, an, an attack on me. It's what gives the people who want to cancel uh, some mm-hmm. of the um, the power behind their efforts, and it's what fills those who are afraid that they're going to be canceled with so much fear. Did, how do these things overlap? I think I think what you just said is probably very true. Uh, if uh, my if I am my influence, if and that's a big thing today. You you, you want to be an influencer or have some kind of influence. My kids want, you know, are constantly talking about the YouTube people they're watching are always begging <laughs> you to subscribe, subscribe. And that's how they're tallying their own worth and money as well. But I think to myself, like, if, um, what, what, who are you if, if you don't have any influence? And, uh, so, so yes, to have your, have your, you're having your identity taken away. You're essentially being killed. It's not just that you're having to pay for, uh, your action. So, so it's almost like beside there's the, there's the conversation about mercy and accountability and, uh, privilege and all these things. But you, you, if you, if you put that to the side, you can say, this is also so highly charged because we're all performancists, like no one's business. It's not that you're having, um, your influence taken away. It's that you're having yourself taken away and we will do anything we can to avoid death. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, Descartes said, I think therefore I am, but now we, we're in this day and age where I, I perform, I do, I produce, therefore I am like, I, like you know, even as a pastor, I, I'm inundated with offers to become more efficient 
and more, more, more productive as a pastor, have a bigger church. Uh, efficiency seems to be like the big word that mm-hmm. everyone's trying to sell me right now. Um, and I'm, I'm very easily lured into it, but then it also strikes me that like efficiency sounds great for washing machines, but terrible for, for human beings. But, but it's, but it's the thing I feel like I'm constantly being sold is like, just be, do more, do better, do faster. And, uh, I, I don't know that there's any, it doesn't feel as though for me, at least like there's any way outside of that. Cause it speaks really deeply to me, even as a guy who feels like he's entrenched in grace, mm-hmm. it, it really resonates with me to produce more, to do more, therefore, therefore be more. And I, and I get what you're saying about, you know, the most important things in life are the things that you receive. You don't earn, you don't prove, you don't, you don't deserve at all. So, so is the answer for getting outside of some of this existential pressure that's now attached to our performing and our doing, is it about, is it about just resting more in, focusing more on <laughs> those relationships where that which is most important is unearned? Like, I'm trying, I'm trying to find a path out from yeah. under this. So like, where, what do we do? Well, it's one of these, a little bit of a catch-22, because you cannot, if the, if I wrote the book with integrity, it's not going to be, it, it can't be another thing that you're going to fail at, you know, yeah, yeah. or feel another ladder that you're going to fall off of. I, I'm trying to make the case for why someone would find not only the idea, but the reality of God, um, um, not just not just interesting, but compelling and mm-hmm. in the extreme. And I, I believe that um, joy and, and wholeness and all sorts of freedom is found on the other side of performancism. Mm-hmm. But the way you get there oftentimes is through death, is through some sort of experiencing of failure, is through some sort of experiencing of uh, egg on your face. I don't wish that for people. I don't wish it for myself. Um, but I can point to the, I, but I can tell people that there is life on the other side of that. And mm-hmm. it might even be, it's the, the culture will tell you that there's no life on the other side of it. And mm-hmm. the, I think God is to be found when we fall off the ladder. And um, mm-hmm. and uh, that's where love is to be found. I mean, that's just like, it's, it's, in, it's in line, it's in sync with the logic of the universe, um, mm-hmm. which is that love uh, comes alive at the point of failure. You know, um, yeah. if I just love you when you're, doing well or pleasing me or achieving that's that's not love that's just admiration or respect right love is when you've um dropped the ball and i i say it, it's it's come here let me give you a hug mm-hmm. um it's gonna be all right I, I can help you know uh so i i think that the pathway out is is less of a um uh, if there's anything to be done, it's, it's to surrender. But again, as we know, the surrender is, is often something that happens to us. Mm-hmm. So the book is meant to be good. And, but, but I also think all of us are sort of on the edge of surrendering at all times. Um, mm-hmm. If you really got in someone's head, there's yep. a lot more people are, are further out on a ledge than, than they ever let on. Um, but I, yeah. I, so I think that the, the, the proclamation of grace is that sort of God will be there, even if you can't let go, even if you're holding on for dear life, uh, eventually you'll fall because we're all going to die. Um, and, and, or there are projects, uh, we're going to age, we're going to lose our money. We're going to, our children are going to disappoint us. Like th- these things will happen. It's not a question of if they will happen. And, uh, does your faith come alive in that moment or does it, do you think, or has faith become another venue of performancism? Yeah. And so the book is really pushing it back against, back against that, mm-hmm. um, that I think that the, the great exception to the rule is the, the gospel of grace. Yeah. So we're setting ourselves up as these performances for this this incredible failure that's going to lead, however, <laughs> to a great, great encounter with Jesus. That's Aren't you glad that, you tuned yeah. in today? Yeah. That's right. That's, that's, that's what we're setting ourselves up for. But, but but it's true. Like the old saying is, you know, God's office is at the end of your rope, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I feel that more right now as a, as a pastor. Like, you know, I've always had a sense that, you know, people come to Sunday morning starving for good news, Right. But I have felt that more keenly over the last two years. Maybe part of that's the pandemic when people have been – the times people have been able to come to church, I've sensed it more keenly, that the people are coming as though they've crawled over broken glass to get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, more tired than I've ever known them to be, more angry than I've ever known them to be, more anxious than I've ever known them to be, and they are coming to church re- ready to be well, – uh, needing to be relieved and released 
from all those burdens. Sometimes they they come thinking that I'm there to ma- I, I should be making them angrier um, mm-hmm. about whatever you know thing they're, they're they have been watching on Tucker Carlson or whatever. But 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 really, what they need is release and relief. And, and I sense that more keenly now than ever. Uh, R- Rachel, have you have you sensed any exhaustion, anxiety, exasperation among your friends as a result of um, this performance? All the people everywhere. Work? I mean, it's the <laughs> it's it just seems to be. Uh, like the state of being right now is just like, I'm starting half full. I'm starting tired. And this is just like how it is. Um, and I don't know if it's really interesting because COVID just, you know, the pandemic and all that has just, I don't know if it just brought it all up where we couldn't pretend it wasn't there anymore. Mm. And so it's just easier to admit you're tired and it, and we're all, we've been in this for so long. Um, and so maybe it's, it's good. Like it brings us to a place where it's like, gosh, there better be grace because I can't do it. I can't do enough. Mm. Um, but yeah, I've, I've, you know, a stay at home mom, like this is my life. I homeschool my kids and it's, it's everywhere. It's just, it's everybody you see. I haven't seen anybody that's like, you know, I've really been thriving lately <laughs> and, and checking all the boxes. Yeah. <laughs> this whole pace of life and pen, it's really working for me, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This you really works for me. You don't hear that I mean, ever. No, not so you much. Know? So no. Dave, do you, do you think yeah. though, I mean, I, I kind of said it jokingly a second ago, but, but do you think that there is, um, there is a great opening for the gospel in all this, um, uh, with, with all the performances and people attaching all of their spiritual need to all the stuff that they do that as, and when that fails to, to, to make them enough when, when that, when that falls short for them. Is is there are we is there a grand a, like a grand great opportunity for the gospel to come in, in in our day and in our age? I mean, that's a leading question. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. Uh, yes, yes, one hundred percent. I think that um, it's. It, I want to just encourage people, anyone. It didn't matter if you're a pastor or not to connect these dots. I mean, how they and and look to how they can be connected for you. Um. Because yes, uh, we're 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 starving for this, and I think that um, the, the temptation is to sort of shout at people saying you are enough, like like don't you get it? You are great, you know. And um, that's I don't know if that's the answer either, because that is sort of like well, I know who I am, and mm-hmm. you're just saying that because you don't know me. Like that's um, that's nice. I'd like to believe that, but at the same time, talk to my spouse. You know, it's it's a uh, what what the what the Christian faith is trying to tell you is that. This sense that you're not enough is on on one level it's 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 true um, because you can't do enough you can never right. know it all do it all be it all uh, but you are enough because God is enough like and 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 He's shown that like y- your your strength your value your um, identity is is found in in that in in the, the what the righteousness with which you have been has been bestowed is the you know the biblical language. So I think that's a tremendously freeing word because it it lands the um, it it posits or the uh, the the burden of enoughness is on God, not on you. Mm-hmm. It's not another. I'm gonna be now. I need to be a good enough Christian. You know, that's like how many yeah. times have you heard that? I just right. gave it up. I couldn't do it anymore because it was just I couldn't. I wasn't as good as those people down the street or in that that pew. I think that the the great um, sort of yes that is the being spoken to us uh, in, in in Christ is it's not a um, pie in the sky or fluffy kind of um, affirmation. It's a sort of a, a blood drenched, <laughs> to pardon my language, but filled with suffering and sacrifice. Saying it's like this is how much I I love you. This mm-hmm. is this is like. Um, this is what you, this is, this is how much you resist love. And this is how much I love you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I happen to believe this is an enormous opening and I, I do, you know, I, I think the more people are having sort of breakdowns, it's usually an opportunity for a breakthrough. Mm-hmm. I, I see that God working in the pandemic in all sorts of ways. I don't think God exists outside of the pandemic or on the other side of the pandemic or all these things. I think that these crises that have, we've been forced to confront have in a lot of ways been God given. Yeah. Um, that doesn't mean I think that God wanted so and so many people to die. I just think that it's, if uh, that there is an opportunity to see the blessings of this in terms of deeper dependence, uh, further uh, 
um, kind of uh, questioning of, 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 of the, the treadmills that I'm on and if they're getting me anywhere and uh, perhaps a deeper appreciation for the grace uh, that is at the heart of the Christian faith. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Dave, do you have any, do you have any thoughts for, for people of faith who, who, who resonate with what you're saying, who say, yep, we, we are, we are performance oriented creatures. Uh, we, we try to build up our sense of self-worth and our identity, find our whole selves in what we do. It's even worse now because we, we take our usual outlets for that need. And now we, we double down on our performance, taking all of our existential spiritual need to the workplace, to the soccer field with our kids, and it's going to fail us. Uh, to, the, to the preacher and to the, the everyday parishioner who wants to be there for friends, family, um, for the people that they care about when this fails them. Uh, is 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 there is there anything that you would you would say to us who want to be in a ready position to love well as a culture of performanceism ultimately does what it's going to do which is which is fail to meet the deep need mm-hmm. uh, for us to be ready to respond in a, in, in a in a truly helpful way anything to keep in mind you like the way of inspiration the way of faith stories of encouragement, then I hope you will check out my podcast where I interview people of faith who share their stories of encouragement, their stories of inspiration, their stories of hope, and overcoming trials and difficulties that they have faced in their life and that we have faced in our lives as well. Hope you check it out. Yeah, I think that the um, the we sometimes think that other people are need to be made aware of how short they're falling, or um, need to be given um, a roadmap, uh, or to be basically to be judged. And I think, given the amount of performanceism that we're living under, the amount of basically imperative that you must do, be, achieve everything, um, know everything. I think that you can, I would counsel people that, that to say that the, the world, the law, the world is doing its work on people. It's not, um, up to, you don't need to really step in with any more condemnation. Uh, that if, to the extent that you can um, be there and to point to uh, what's beyond deserving, what's beyond performanceism, I think that, that, that err on that side, not on the side of accountability. Um, or uh, further exhortation or um, consequences, because the yeah, that's what I you, you said. People are walking on broken glass. I think that we're, we're living under a time of enormous amounts of pressure and difficulty and division and acrimony, and we can trust. I I believe that um, we don't need to uh, that 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 work is that the work of condemnation and judgment has been done. And is being done. You, it doesn't. It doesn't need you to to add to the fires. You can be. The, what is the the, the the rare thing is the is the word of forgiveness, second chance, third chance, grace, absolution. That is um, what we might be able to contribute, even to the especially to the people that don't look like they deserve that. Yeah, yeah. Like the most powerful force in the world is is for someone to. And you talked about earlier for someone to see you as you truly are. Um, warts and all, not just warts, just like total nastiness and all, and they don't push away from the table. Mm-hmm. Like they just they see the full you. You're fully seen, and they're like, and I and I and I love you, and I'm not going anywhere. I'm not. And I'm not as a preacher, <laughs> yeah, I'm not taking off. I'm not taking off. That that is the most powerful force in the world to be fully seen for the t- terrible mess that you are, and for somebody to be like, yeah, and I love you. Like that's, that's the greatest thing ever. That's the greatest thing ever. Yeah. I, I think we can basically assume that everyone we meet is kind of hanging on by a thread. Yeah. And a lot of times we think, oh, it's one of those people. So I need to make sure they know how mistaken they are about X, Y, or Z. The truth is everyone I talk to is, um, is, 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 is in a lot of uh, is confusion and pain and dying for some love. And so I think um, you can almost rest assured that that's, that's where they are. Yeah. yeah. Dave, we've been 
talking a lot. A lot of this is found in your book, Seculosity, but you have another book coming out um, in September. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Because I feel like they kind sure. of go together a little bit. No, thank you, Rachel. The The book is called Low Anthropology, and the subtitle is uh, The Unlikely Key to a Gracious View of Others and Yourself. Mm-hmm. And it is an exploration of the human human nature, which is another anthropology, simply another word for what do you think about what human beings are like? Mm-hmm. And uh, the truth is, if we have a very, what I call high anthropology or an optimistic view of what human beings are capable of, we tend to be, um, it sounds nice in graduation speeches, but it tends to set people up for enormous disappointment and bitterness mm-hmm. and resentment. And a low anthropology, which is sort of something like what Anne Lamott would meant when she said, everyone is screwed up and clingy and, uh, you know, don't compare your insides with their outsides. Um, mm-hmm. That uh, sounds kind of insulting, but it's actually deep of deep comfort. I'm not the only one. And so the book is about a, a low anthropology as, as a Christian. I think it's a Christian anthropology. Um, and it sort of says that people are uh, more limited than we care to believe um, uh, and limited in what we can do and what we can know. Um, that's a big thing today. We think we know everything as well as we <laughs> can do everything. There we get burnout and just uh, division. Um, then uh, that people are doubled. <laughs> that's doubleness, which I think is that there's a big difference between what we uh, want and what we think um, or what, who we should be and who we actually are. These, there's a difference there. Um, and oftentimes we're, we're living in the tension between uh, my desires and my, my, my the facts. Uh, and then thirdly, that we are self-oriented in a way that is sort of malign um, and that there's a dark side. And I think basically what I'm, what I'm arguing for is that if, if these things can be accepted, there, there's, we're really talking about a more realistic expectations of other people and yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, a desire for teamwork and collaboration. If I can't do everything, well, then I need other people's help. I don't, and I'm I'm going to be curious uh, if I'm um, if if I can acknowledge that there's a dis- d- disconnect sometimes between the head and the heart. Well, then I can I cannot maybe take everyone's uh, words and thoughts so seriously and know that the, the heart is where they're actually living, and I can have some compassion. Uh, and uh, then if I believe that there is some sort of malware in the as as Tristan Harris said the other day, like that we're running bad code. Uh, on some level, then then I can put a premium on forgiveness and mercy. And so these are the great hope for the world, I think, and the unity is, we think that, um, I'm giving away too much of the book, you won't want to buy it, <laughs> but we think that people will be unified, we will become, we will uh, love each other based on our strengths and our virtues and our accomplishments. But the the point of the book is that actually those divide uh, what mm-hmm. uh, you and I may have very different values uh, and what we think is important in life, but I guarantee you, we are united in the fact that neither of us live up to those values completely. Yeah. That's, wow. And that's a basis for sympathy, understanding, and compassion yeah. rather than which value is better, who's, right. who's getting further. So um, that's yeah. what the book is about. And I hope it's uh, it's also pithy and fun. And, and I think it's, I like to yeah. think it's. Well, it sounds beautiful. That's that's fantastic. I can't wait. Yeah, yeah it's, it, it, it sounds great, Dave. And I'm sure yeah. that like everything else you do, Seculosity and Mockingbird, it'll be this great um, cross-section of of wit and wisdom, um, spiritual truth, cultural insight, all those things kind of coming together. So we're, we're, we're excited about it. We, we will, we will dedicate a forthcoming show to it. I promise you that. <laughs> Can't wait. Uh, I won't expect you to. <laughs> but we, thank you. Thank you both. Yeah. Dave, th- thanks so much for, uh, for having this conversation with you. It's, it's always great to chat with you, man. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Rachel. I really yeah, appreciate you having me on. Rachel, that was a fun conversation, wasn't it? It was great. He's so, um, you know, he he podcasts for a living. He's a pastor. He's really fun to listen to. Yeah, he's, he's really easy to talk to. Really easy to Absolutely. talk to. Absolutely. And you know, this was this was a conversation that you know, personally for for me is is one that I I need to return to um, mm-hmm. because, as I said at the beginning of this show, performanceism is something that I really get stuck in finding my my worth, my identity, my value in how productive I am, how efficient I am, how good I am at the things, all the different things that I do. Uh, and so, so this is a, this is always a helpful conversation for me to have to be reminded that I am not what I do. 
that I am loved apart from my performance is huge for me. Right. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting because he was talking and I was thinking about performancism and perfectionism and what that looks like. And it's not that I don't want anybody to think we're saying that performance is bad because like, I want to, I want to do well at my job. I want to do well at at loving the people in my life. And I want to feel like I go to bed at night and like, I did good work today. And so it's not that that's bad. So help me parse out the difference between um, just the natural, that's what humans do. That's what we want. We want to do well and um, performanceism. Like what's the line and, and mm-hmm. talk that out with me. Well, I, I think I, I agree, you know, performance being, being good at the things you're right. called to do is good. That that's a, that's a that, that's a wonderful thing, and no, and I don't think Dave or anybody else is saying, you know, hey, how how well you perform doesn't matter at all. Like excellence right. still matters; it's still a thing. Bring your best to everything. But what what's happened is we we are in a day and age where we still have deep spiritual needs that we bring with us to everything that we do, and and because we are an increasingly secular age, mm-hmm. we are now we are meaning we we don't go to traditional spiritual places to have those deep spiritual needs met. We're now taking those same spiritual needs to be forgiven, to be to be seen and loved by one who made us. We're taking those needs to all of our places of performance, and we're now asking something of our work, of our parenting, of our exercising, mm-hmm. of our Instagramming, whatever you want to say. <laughs> We're now taking to those places this deep spiritual need and asking those things that we do to also meet that need. And that ends up being really harmful for us. And uh, essentially what it comes down to is uh, our work, our performance can't do for us what we are currently asking it to do for us, which is make us enough Mm-hmm. Uh, in such a way that it satisfies the deep needs of our soul, make us right, make us good, make us worthy, make us sleep well at night, knowing that all's well in our world. Mm-hmm. It, it it can't do those things, and if we try to let it do those things, uh, it will end disastrously for us. That's what Dave's talking about. Mm-hmm. It, it's not that performance is bad; it's that we're now asking something of it that it that it was never intended to do, and that ends poorly for us. So almost giving it more emphasis and more space in our brain than it should have. That, that, that's right. Yeah. Well, it, and it's, it, it, and again, it's not even that, that you know, say work, for example, sh- shouldn't be a big part of your life. It's going to be a big part of your life, especially if you love what you do. Like it's going right. to be a huge part of your life and that's good, but there's certain things it can't do. It can't meet the deepest spiritual needs that you have as a human being. And if you try for your work to meet those deep spiritual needs, it will end up poorly for you. It, it won't go well for you. Mm. That's where you end up in this place of like existential crisis or major spiritual exhaustion um, or, or deep depression, anxiety. All these things I think are traced back to the, the deeper spiritual and existential needs we're now taking to the workplace and to all these other vocations with us. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I've been thinking a lot about just on the past year about grace and what like what that really looks like. And I found that the Holy Spirit's been teaching me grace is the okayness, like, like it's okay. And it's not that it's okay now, as long as I'm still striving to be better later, it's the okayness because I find that performance performanceism, if I'm real honest, sneaks up most in my like quiet spiritual practices, Mm -hmm. like I'm constantly wondering, did I pray enough today? Did I, I should have read my Bible more. I should have sat and been quiet. I should have reached out and been more loving. And it's, it's those things where I think I put the most pressure on myself privately and inwardly to my spiritual practices of my performance, which is crazy and bonkers because if all people like God is where that first starts, right? My okayness, Mm -hmm. my, Mm -hmm. um, like just, just be, and that's why I love you. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think asking people to like, like not be so consumed with performanceism can be a big ask. So, so what is a way you practically not to put you on the spot, but like, what's a way to practically in your life, um, set that performanceism aside? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I would say, I would say, you know, two things for me. And again, I'm going to come at this from the perspective of a, a person who's sure who, who's a Christian, not only a Christian, but, but a pastor. So, so my, my answers are going to be 
pretty churchy, but they're true <laughs> answers nonetheless, and I think they're good answers not just for me but for others. Mm-hmm. So, th- so there's two things. For me, the practice of confession and absolution within the worship service that I attend, and I also happen to lead, but that I attend, is really critical because what's happening there is it's the moment in the service where I, I confess that th- all the mistakes – where I, along with, alongside all these other human beings, I confess that, that I have failed in all these expectations. I have not been the person I want to be uh, or the person I should be in God's eyes. I'm a total mess, and I'm letting God see that, not as if he doesn't already, but I'm, but I'm <laughs> handing it to him purposely and letting him see that and believing that God sees the, the, the mess that I am. And then I listen as he speaks a word of love to me, and he says, I see all of that. And because of Christ, I love you anyway. And, and that's the real po- that's a powerful moment for me to know that the one whose opinion matters most uh, has seen me, like fully seen me, but then still speaks a word of love and acceptance and forgiveness to me. It's not just that he says, no, you're okay. The mm-hmm. bad things aren't that bad. No, he sees the bad things and says, you're right. It's, in right. fact, it's probably even worse than you think. <laughs> but then he says he loves me anyway. Mm-hmm. That is a transformative moment for me each and every week that uh, that I go through that. So I, I, I look forward to that. The other piece is I, I try to make a big deal out of, and I'm not always successful, but I try to make a big deal out of having a day that is focused just on enjoying the good things mm-hmm. in my life, not not trying to attain more of them or prove that I'm worthy of them, a day not of working or laboring in any capacity, but a day of just enjoying things. And that's the closest I get to just being rather than doing sure. my, my whole week. And so I try to just focus on enjoying my family, enjoying the blessings of home, enjoying things like uh, uh, a glass of scotch or a good cigar, and just mm-hmm. enjoying the things that, that make me feel alive and loved as a human being. And, and, and making sure that that has a spot on my calendar as much as all the other doing. So that's how I try to, I try to make sure that I return to that moment in church every week. It's really mm-hmm. important to me. And I return to that spot of rest each week. That, that's how I disconnect from some of the performances for me. That's really good. Okay. So we had this conversation with yeah. Dave and we've been sitting with us. What is your make it simple takeaway for this week? My make it simple takeaway is you are not loved for what you do. You are seen for all your failures, and you are loved anyway. And how, how, how life-changing of a truth is that? How life-changing and life-giving of a truth is that? You are seen in all of your failures, yet you are loved completely. Mm-hmm. Rachel, what about you? What's your make it simple takeaway? You know, I think uh, kind of to steal off yours is I want to look for ways to practically love the people in my life for who they are and what this looks like for me, especially because I have young kids. Um, and so our day is constantly interactions. Was this good behavior, bad behavior, but making a point, especially in those negative interactions of pointing out how much I love them and how, um, the, even the good that I see in it and really trying to recognize that in them, then knowing that that's good practice then for myself to, to reiterate that. So I think that's my takeaway is I want to look for ways to practically speak this over my kids today. That's great. Mm. So listener, what about you? What's your make it simple takeaway? We'll call it your make it simple soundbite from today's episode on performancism with David Zoll. If you want to let us know what you've taken away from today's episode, head over to our Instagram. Our Instagram handle is mpopovitz. That's M-P-O-P-O-V-I-T-S. Over at Instagram, drop a comment underneath the post uh, about today's episode and let us know what you took away from this. We'd love to hear from you. Absolutely. Rachel, thanks for hanging out with me. Let's do it again soon, shall we? Let's do it. Thanks for helping us make it simple. The show is produced by MPM. Our editor is Marsha Lambeth. Artwork for the show was designed by Brenton Little. Do you have a topic you'd like us to tackle or an expert you'd like us to chat with? Send your ideas to info at mattpopovitz.com. That's info at M-A-T-T-P-O-P-O-V-I-T-S.com. And if you'd like more information about Make It Simple or MPM, just head to mattpopovitz.com.